Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. It's good to be with you today as we press in deeply to the renewing hope God offers in Christ. And Sean, I'm excited that on this episode, we're having a conversation directed toward renewing hope for women impacted by ministry stress and trauma, either as ministry leaders or as the wife of a pastor. Yeah, we have have a special guest. Uh, Kristen Joy is a certified mental health and biblical life coach. She passionately serves wounded pastor's wives and ministry leaders who, through their trauma or chronic stress, have found themselves wondering, has God abandoned me? Kristen knows the heartache of feeling abandoned by God, and her church family has found Christ to be faithful. Uh, He has restored her joy and called her to use her ministry life experiences and uh, trauma-informed training to serve others who are walking on a similar path. It's her joy to honor and guide other ministry women on their own healing journey, and uh, she loves learning uh, to uh, live from a, a place of rest. Kristen enjoys connecting with God and finding any quiet space she can in her household of eight. Kristen Joy, welcome to Hope Renewed. Thank you very much for having me. It's a it's a joy. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. I'm sensing a theme already with the joy. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So let's start off. Would you just uh, share your story, uh, a little bit about your ministry journey and why you became a, a ministry wife coach? Well, thank you again for having me on and uh, for allowing me this opportunity to, to even come and share about this. Um, po- that is actually part of my journey, right? Uh, as a, I grew up as a pastor's kid and um, in, in the central Midwest area of the United States. And so that kind of comes with some cultural con- you know, context there. Um, and then went on to marry a pastor right actually before I graduated from college. So all I had known for years and years uh, was being a pastor's wife and what that looked like. And also obviously experiencing that as a child and watching my mom and kind of what I viewed um, her job was in that, you know. And so as ministry life went on, you experience these things, uh, just common hurts and disappointments and trying to meet people's expectations. Um, You know, you, you sense pretty early on, I think as a pastor's kid, I did that there was this line somewhere, even if you couldn't see where it was. And um, certain people had a line, you know, maybe six feet away from you. Um, Maybe other people had a line that was closer or farther away. You just never knew where the line was for whomever you were interacting with. And so that um, really continued on as a pastor's wife. I knew going into being a pastor's wife, um, I had an attitude that was very much like, I got this. I got it in the bag. I've Mm -hmm. been a pastor's kid. You know, it's, I got it. I know what this is about. And the reality is we we don't have anything in the bag, first of all. <laughs> um, 
But every church is different. Every person Mm. is different. Every pastor's wife is different. And I didn't have the tools, what I didn't know then, I didn't have the tools to process when these little things happened, you know, a rupture Mm -hmm. or a, a break in a friendship that you thought you could trust that, you know, gets repaired, but, but then you kind of always, um, approach that person with this question mark, right? Can I really trust Mm -hmm. her this time? Um, and you don't have a way to process that or a place to even kind of unpack that and, um, begin to discover more about what you're bringing in your lens and your view. And so as I went through ministry, uh, we served at three different churches, I guess really four. We had four years in there of 17 years of ministry that were in seminary. But at that time, he pastored a small church. So most listening to this podcast would be able to attest to the fact that there is no part-time pastor, Mm -hmm. right? You might have part-time pay, (laughs) but the work (laughs) is full-time because you're always on anyway, and you'll respond to the needs if there's an emergency or whatnot. And the expectations don't go away. There's not part-time expectations. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so really we served at four different churches and each one, I learned and grew different things, but really it, because I didn't have a way to process and a a safe place, um, the hurts and the disappointments, they just began to pile on. Mm. Um, And I didn't know how to communicate them well with my husband. Uh, That's another area that for us was difficult. We really didn't learn until the last recent years how to begin to really communicate in a way that wasn't being sensed by the other person that it's finger pointing. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, And so we'll get into some of those common issues, I think a little bit later on, but part of that, I just kept stuffing and stuffing and denying myself. Right. Um, Those that can't see me, I'm doing air quotes right now because we use some of these scriptures. Uh, Another scripture that's commonly used is, you know, your heart is wicked and deceitful above all else who can know it. Mm. And it caused me to shut down my instincts. Part of what I've learned in my training now is that that is what trauma does to us. Mm. It shuts down our gut level instincts. And as a believer, we have the Holy spirit indwelling us. Mm-hmm. So we can actually trust that. I mean, if we're walking in step with the Lord, we have even like an extra sense above gut gut level, right? That we can trust. And so when something feels like a red flag and something seems to be saying, Hey, pay attention here. then it's wise to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And I just hadn't. And for years, I just dismissed a lot of things. And so I thought outwardly I was doing fine. Um, I know behind our doors, um, (laughs) my kids now, I mean, we joke about it now because this is not me now, but what we call Kristen 1.0, like the rage monster would come out, right? And so behind, that would only happen behind doors, right? Um, But it was because my (laughs) window of tolerance, um, you know, what I could experience was so so little at that time, Mm. um, because I was holding so much in. 
And at the end of 2017, we had been in a position where he was hired on. He had been there for two and a half years, uh, hired on to become the senior pastor. They wanted to do a, you know, good, healthy transition. And so they wanted to bring him in, help him get a feel of the language and the DNA and of the church and that kind of thing. And what we thought was going to be going into him becoming the senior pastor they called him in on a Saturday morning and we just sensed something was not right that for a few months before something just didn't seem right. But Sunday mornings would be pats on the back, smiles on the faces and Hey, you're doing a great job. You know, Oh, what a wonderful sermon, you know? Um, and so I said to my husband, while he was on the phone with the call on Saturday morning, I said, can I come with you? I'm coming with you. <laughs> it was more of a, it was a question, but it was more of a statement. Um, and so he asked on the phone and they told him, well, she can come, but she can't come in the room. She'll have to stand outside. And we knew then that, you know, I guess the word that comes to my head is inquisition. I don't know. Like uh, we just knew we were going into a really bad situation. So the church was only a mile from our house. We could see all their cars and we knew all the leadership cars, you know, so we knew who was there, uh, walked in. And what I saw was a singular chair in the middle of a room with, I don't even know. I mean, it was wall to wall people in there with the singular chair. And then they closed the door and I sat outside. Um, Someday I'll be able to talk about this, <laughs> but I remember hearing, you know, don't, don't come in tomorrow. You no longer work here. And that was about all I, I got to. It wasn't a very long meeting. I think the door opened after maybe three minutes. And he said to me, don't say anything, just walk. Don't say anything, just walk. And so I just listened to him and, and mm -hmm. we left and you know, we went home, six kids all looking at us like, what's going on, mom and dad? And I was in tears. I have no idea what he said other than that, you know, we're done here was basically what he said. And for the next two hours, I, I include this because a lot of women who experience this come before me um, when they show up in front of me and they're like, what did you what did you do? What did you do in those first hours and days. And I said, well, it's shock. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're right to feel how you're, you know, you are normal mm -hmm. and this makes sense. Um, but my husband, he couldn't breathe. Uh, we lived in a home that wasn't technically a parsonage, but it was owned by somebody in the church. And he said, I, he said, I, I can't stay in here. What are we going to do? I can't, I can't breathe, mm -hmm. you know? Um, thankfully, we had some really good friends that I think within 30 minutes, I was on the phone with her. We had gone through seminary with them. And I said, you know, Jamie, can we come? She said, absolutely. We have some things going on, but you guys can stay as long as you need. Mm, wow. So with, within two hours, our entire family was in the, in the truck on the way uh, across the state to stay with these wonderful, wonderful friends. And they just let us be. You know, they didn't, they didn't ask questions unless we brought something up. Um, they knew how to just be with us and be a comfort in their presence without having to try to fix it. Hmm. There, there's so much to your story that I'm sure people can resonate with at, at different levels. Uh, because as you said, every situation is different. Every, every ministry is different. Every 
uh, exit story is different. And yet there are common themes. Um, and you mentioned the, the trauma of just suddenly being put out. Um, I've always used the image of a bomb going off. That's what it was like for us. My wife and I use that same illustration that those first hours, those first days, those first weeks uh, was just like trying to survive an explosion that has just gone off. And you kind of get to those survival level questions of, of what do I do next? What do I do next? As, as you think about that, how, how do you communicate that uh, to those with whom you work, uh, ministry wives, uh, as they process their own um, experiences? Well, your picture is like spot on. That's interesting to me that that's what you use. I always saw a picture of me laying in a battlefield, an empty battlefield. And at first it was just me. Um, and I say at first because this, this image carried on for quite a few months afterwards, about eight, nine months. And so at first though, it was just like, all I could see was me and a broken leg and it was twisted back, you know, um, and smoke smoldering around me. It's a very vivid picture that I have in my head. Eventually it spanned out enough to include, you know, seeing my husband laying there and my children standing mm -hmm. there in the distance, just kind of watching us like, what do we do? Um, so I find that even offering that image to them helps them again, go, oh, okay, I'm normal. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm experiencing and feeling there really aren't words. We can't really put language to the amount of pain, you know, a job loss. And I didn't learn this again until later, but a job loss is experienced, especially that, that sudden uh, termination. It's not in your control. It's been done for you and brought upon you. Suddenly it is processed in the body, the same as the death of a loved one. Mm -hmm. And that seems so extreme. I mean, at, at face value, that seems like, really? It's just, it's just a job loss. Go get another job is what a lot of people think. <laughs> yeah. um, but ministry jobs, man, they have a lot more, not a lot more responsibilities per se, but um, a lot more internally that are attached to them. Mm -hmm. um, so that stigma, uh, two things that I know ran through my mind and that I've seen a common theme one is that oh, I never thought it would happen to me. Not like not my husband. My husband is is upright. Mm. He is righteous. He didn't do anything, you know. And that's the second thing is that there's the stigma that a pastor has to have had some kind of huge moral moral failure in order to be fired. And and they would never be fired otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just not the truth. Um mm. so I find that that helps even um, letting her share her story, asking questions about it, the areas that, you know, you sense that she'd want to go into more. And oftentimes she'll say, now, now what about you? You know, mm -hmm. and I only give a small part, but enough to let her know again that, yeah, what you're feeling makes sense and you will make it through, but it will be painful. And I can't tell you how long it will be painful for. Hmm. So. So I kind of interrupted your story as you were at that point. So from there, uh, from your experience, uh, how was God leading and working in your life? Yeah. The first eight months were 
just like what we've talked about, lots of confusion, um, culminated in a moment of me driving on the highway. I didn't have any children with me. And I was in such pain about some current things that had been happening and then all of the, the pile, right? That I saw a tree and I just, my eyes locked on it and I thought, I'm gonna drive into that. I think that that would be better, right? And as soon as I thought it, I took my hands off the wheel and I thought, oh my goodness, get home and stop putting it on your to-do list that you never do, make those phone calls. And that's what I did. I went home and I called to a couple different places for counseling, um, went through the, uh, the wall of the first several co- phone calls went exactly like they had when I was in ministry, um, which was, you know, we can't really help you or unless you can do this, then we can't help you, you know. Um, but one thing about where we were at in that time was that my husband had insurance that covered and all I needed to do for counseling was pay a copay and I could do that, you know. So um, connected with counselor, um, individually went through counseling for about a year and a half. Part of that, we also started seeing a couples counselor, a different one. And by, you know, towards the end of that, I started becoming very fascinated in the questions that particularly our uh, couples counselor was always asking. And I thought, man, I think he talks like four times <laughs> for every hour and a half we're in there. And yet we walk out and we're like, oh, now we know. And, you know, so we would have these conversations about what is it about his questions that are having the ability to help us finally communicate? And so I became fascinated in the process, um, not just in enjoying the, the results of it. But um, so I finally asked in one session, how do you know to ask those questions? <laughs> they were so powerful. And he said, well, I mean, it's my job. <laughs> so um, <laughs> at that point, I knew I had turned enough of a corner that I thought, this is something I want to look into. And uh, a few months later, coaching opportunity for certification came in front of me. And I thought, well, let's check this out. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got here. And um, all along the way, it's been about three years since I've been coaching, uh, two years full-time doing that. Um, and all along the way has been a process of the Lord refining, right? And um, moving me to just layer after layer okay, you're ready for this now, you're ready for this now. And I thought, uh, I just recently started grad school this week, actually, uh, for Masters of Social Work. Eventually, I want to get to trauma therapist is the aim with that. Mm-hmm. And I had been thinking, like, these feel very divergent. Like, why do I feel so called to go ahead and begin school and do this route? And why do I still feel so called to pastor's wives and and their kids, adult pastors' kids too. Um, and it, it wasn't until this last fall that I, again, driving, the Lord must know he has my attention more there or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's my quiet place um, where I just felt like he went, no, 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 dear daughter, keep walking. They're the same path. And so I'm excited um, to see where the Lord brings that because I know there's a lot of women 
a lot of pastors, wives and adult pastors, kids that really do need um, some good in-depth trauma therapy work uh, and support. Mm. So, so you, you've already talked a little bit about your, your coaching. Uh, your website is the ministrywifecoach.com. And on there, you mentioned trauma-informed coaching. Uh, why is it important for especially ministry wives to have a trauma-informed coach? This is a great question. Um, coaching and counseling, common question that's asked, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Coaching in a very broad sense, some people will say it helps you move forward. Counseling is about digging into your past. And for me, I have found that that's far too simplistic because the reality is that in order to move forward, there may very well be some things that have to be addressed from the past. And um, there was a, a session I had with a client that I would say on the surface looked very healthy, emotionally healthy. Um, she had come for some business help. It wasn't, you know, it was for business strategy. And I asked a question and it was dead silent. And then she just burst into tears. That was like uncontrollable sobbing. And thankfully, even at that point, I had enough to know um, what not to say, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what maybe how to bring her out of what I would call now dysregulation, you know, bring her down from her emotional overwhelm and get her to the place that by the end of that session, I'm not leaving her so that she gets off the phone and doesn't know how to function for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And so I find that a lot of people, whether they're seeking out coaching um, or counseling, but They have these underlying things and it's important for us to know so that we can go into coaching confidently how to address these surprises when they come up. I also believe it's important because clients need to know that they are 100% safe with Mm -hmm. you. Understanding how the brain works, even on the level of, you know, how does change happen? Coaches should have some understanding of how that happens, you know, with your neural pathways. And as a trauma-informed coach, I know that what my client shows up with and maybe struggling to overcome, there is, there are pathways that have been, you know, uh, made, driven on over and over again. And these patterns have emerged, patterns of thinking, Um, A lot of times family of origin, maybe it's trauma. Um, Those are the things that really drive our thinking. And so if I don't know how to address those, then I don't really know how to uh, get my client to a point where I can help them move forward. Mm. Um, Another common thing for those that I coach is anxiety. And anxiety has lots of different roots. I'm not an anxiety specialist, but as a trauma-informed coach, I feel more confident to be able to help them on a very practical level with grounding and um, various practical ways that I can get them even back to like, how can we get it? So your prefrontal cortex is working today, right? People can't think cognitively 
if they're disintegrated in the rest of their body. Mm-hmm. And um, so understanding that process a little bit is helpful to coach well. I think you, you kind of hinted at it a little bit in, in sharing your story, but church-based trauma kind of has its own unique feel to it. Um, what are some of the common threads you've seen in your coaching around church-based trauma? Yeah, another really great question. Um, church-based trauma causes us to question our standing with God mm. more than some other traumas do. Not only is God good, does God love me? Why has he allowed me to suffer? Which are questions that most people experiencing trauma are going to ask at one point or another. But how do I relate to God? How do I relate to him when all of these assumptions I've built my faith on crumble? How do I relate to him when I've been living like, oh, do this, A, and I'm going to add God, B, and my A is pleasing to God, right? So it should equal C. And a lot of that for us comes in um, with our culture here in America. And whether or not we would claim prosperity gospel, that's what most of us believe. Mm -hmm. Um, When I went through part of my journey in healing, the first year, I didn't read the Bible at all. And I'll be honest, I'm okay with that. And I actually, when my clients come to me, if they're in the the beginning stages of their healing, a lot of them feel self-condemnation for that. And I said, dear sister, the Lord is not displeased with you because you can't open his word. He understands where you're at. And this is where the, the spirit groaning our behalf comes in. The Lord knows how he's made us, right? And so the second year, though, when I finally like looked at there was a moment, I looked at the Bible from across the room and I thought, I think I can do it, you know, and I went and picked it up and I didn't go to Ephesians. I didn't go to some book that tells me exactly how to live. I went to Psalms Mm -hmm. and I had never spent a lot of times in Psalms, but it's beautiful. And I just let him wash you know, the word wash over me, um, that helped me to really know the emotional heart of God, Mm. to know that where I was, was fine, was perfectly okay. And maybe it was even good, right? I would say now it it was a good place. Um, Church-based trauma makes us face all of what we've believed God says about himself and what we've believed Bible verses mean our interpretation of scripture. And so it makes us question our meaning, our purpose, our existence. Mm -hmm. It strips us down to our absolute core, you know, and another thing that's difficult about it is that, Some traumas exist within community and it's a communal trauma. When that happens, people lean on one another. But when church trauma happens, most often it isolates. Mm -hmm. And so not only does it take what you feel like God away from you, it takes away all of the people from you. And for those that have experienced forced termination, 
a lot of times there's this unspoken marital, like whose fault mm. is this? Mm. Um, some, sometimes the man um, out of his own place of hurt will blame the woman. You know, she did something that made him unfit as a pastor or that, that the church thought made him unfit as a pastor. Um, and, and another issue then with thinking about family is if the couple has children, then there's for the, for the woman, a huge weight of what is this going to mean for my kids and their relationship with God and their relationship with the church as -hmm. they grow up? Are they going to just want to walk away from it all? It's such a heavy reality to think about that um, the, the very place in which we're to grow and flourish uh, can be the place of our greatest pain. Getting, getting to this sense of health then. Um, you mentioned the word expectations uh, when you were talking about pastor's wives, and I always add the word assumptions. What weight do you think those words carry uh, especially for a pastor's wife, and how can the church better understand uh, how to bring health into those kinds of relationships? Great question. So the challenges and the expectations and assumptions, I think there's two sides of it, and I only saw one side of it before. Mm. One side of it before was Again, whatever the woman brings in from her own upbringing of, I would say, church culture, church mm-hmm. culture, um, even if you weren't raised in a pastor's home, you have some idea of what you think a pastor's wife should do, should look like, should wear, <laughs> where she should go, where she should work, whatever. Play the piano, teach Sunday right? school. Right, <laughs> exactly. And, and those are, uh, you know, very common. I see that question all the time in the Facebook groups that I'm in for, you know, in other groups that I'm in for pastor's wives. Um, I'm a pastor's wife. Now what? This is what I know to do, but I don't think I can do that. Right. And so on the one hand, we carry our own assumptions and we don't realize that maybe the person next to us actually doesn't carry that assumption. Mm -hmm. So we project onto our congregations walking in what we think they want. So a good question that I walk pastor's wives through is what are the stated expectations and assumptions? What have you actually heard and been told? Because some women are told you need to do this. You need to do that. A lot of times though, she'll answer with, well, I guess I haven't been told anything. Actually, they told me I could just, you know, do what I would like to do here. Okay. So how do you feel about that? You know, and usually that's kind of unsettling to her, to Mm. be honest. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I can really believe that, you know, or, well, that's what the other church said. They said I could do whatever I wanted to. And then she's carrying in this past hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I work through that individually because it's so individual, but to even recognize that sometimes we carry our own assumptions and expectations and nobody actually is carrying them alongside us. Mm. It's just weight we have on ourselves. Another part of that is she believes as the pastor's wife, she's the only one carrying that expectation and assumption. And I would venture to say that we share a whole lot more similarities 
with just the average woman in our church than we think we do. Mm. And one example of this simple example is in the issue of loneliness. Now, loneliness is not a simple issue, but the example is simple because most pastors' wives are very lonely mm-hmm. and, and it's a valid and real experience. What she assumes is because Mary Jo has her sister in the church and her aunt in the church that Mary Jo is not lonely. Well, just because Mary Jo has her sister and her aunt or whatnot in church doesn't mean that Mary Jo's not lonely too. And so you can see how our assumptions that we carry affect what we're willing to do. Because maybe we've never considered inviting Mary Jo to coffee. Maybe we've never went to Mary Jo and said, hey, would you be willing to tell me your story? And we stop because of our assumptions and think Mary Jo couldn't possibly understand what I'm experiencing because she's never been a pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was part of the identity that I took off. Kristen, I, I, I just love, you know, what you're talking about in identity. It was a, it was a huge piece for me working through burnout. Um, and I suspect a lot of uh, pastor's wives and, and women in ministry need to hear um, what I needed to hear, um, and that is that that we are God's children. We're loved, and we need to to not just know that, but to experience it as our identity. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there was a difference between being able to to know and speak the theological truth of it, uh, and being able to actually feel that I am a, a child of God, fully and permanently loved. Mm-hmm. Um, not because of anything I've done. Um, and uh, that, that is such a powerful healing word that, that sounds like you're bringing to these women. Is that correct? Yes. So let, let's just shift, shift gears just a little bit. Um, what are some of the things that ministry wives, pastor's wives might be afraid to say, or uh, maybe some things that pastors need to hear about life as a ministry wife? Let's do your second part first. Some things that I know ministry wives want their husbands to to know and hear is even if she looks busy and socially engaged, she's often in danger of feeling lonely. Mm. And so learning to pay attention to her heart and wanting to be in tune there is important. Because she most often and uh, most deeply craves his attention, mm. right? And there's a balance, but actually, if if a husband can really attune um, quality-wise, right, then she's free and feels secure in their relationship and can allow him to do the things that he needs to do in ministry. Another one is that she really wants to see his happiness, contentment, and peace in his life for himself. And she doesn't need words to know that. She can sense it in his body language. She can sense it in the air. Even Mm -hmm. if he wasn't standing in the room, she would probably be able to say, sorry, to say, you know, if he's at peace and actually content. And so when she senses that those things aren't true, 
she is on alert. And um, I liken it to like a lion, right? She's on the lookout for who or what is stealing that peace in his life. And so regardless of what the pastor husband says to his wife, she's going to assume <laughs> there's more assumptions. Um, she's going to assume what the problem issues are. Mm -hmm. And she may end up in desperation attacking those issues herself because she's seeking his peace, his happiness, and then that peace of connection with him. I think those are the, the two primary things that a pastor husband needs to know about his wife. Some other things, I actually went and asked a couple of my people, what are some of the things, because I have a lot of answers that I know for me are true, but I, I wanted to know really what are some other things that people, pastor's wives want their congregations to know, their friends to know, um, and other staff members to know. So one interesting thing that I watch dynamically with pastor's wives is that even though we know the saying, Christians are the only ones who shoot their own, right? And, and we think that's an awful thing. <laughs> uh, at some level, we can all be guilty of doing that. And on staffs, uh, staffs, I've seen that as well. Senior pastor's wife thinks she's different than the worship pastor's wife, than the associate pastor's wife, than the youth pastor's wife. They all think they're different. And they all think they need to be maybe not the most important, but at least the most seen at the moment that they're most aware of this difference, right? Um, if you would allow me, I wanted to read you something that somebody uh, shared regarding this question. She said, as a pa worship pastor's wife, there are things I wish that I could tell everyone, including the senior pastor and his wife. She said, even if it's only part-time, especially if it's part-time, Part-time means they expect your husband to have two jobs, but to show up to everything as if it were his only job. Two jobs wear on the family. Part-time also means no perks, no discounts on college, conferences, or anything else that requires full-time ministry, as if he doesn't put in 40 hours. <laughs> I wish I was told by the senior pastor, I wish when I was told by the pa senior pastor's wife that I really wouldn't get how hard it was to be a pastor's wife until I was married to the senior pastor that I could have shoved a pie in her face. <laughs> and I share that because as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, yeah, I want to shove a pie in that woman's face too. So, so we, as Christians, we shoot our own staff members, attack staff members and dismiss and discount and devalue what everyone's contributing. Mm. And it just breaks my heart. Mm. So I, you know, pastors' wives wear a lot of their own expectations and they carry a lot of expectations from others because there are stated expectations or um, that comparison to the former pastor's wife that was there. That's a big, a big thing. So I don't know how to change that. I don't know how to shift mm. that other than one by one working with our own questions, you know, and exploring our own lenses and biases. So that, that brings up the question, when should a pastor's wife reach out? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are obvious times when major trauma has happened or uh, it's, it's a very significant moment. Um, 
But when would you recommend that a pastor's wife reach out for help and, and what can they expect in a coaching session? I advocate for pastor's wives reaching out when their husbands are in seminary, if they go the seminary route. And as soon as they know, they're going to be a pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and this is why I liken ministry life to running a marathon. And Paul talks about running, right? A lot. Mm -hmm. And when we think about a marathon runner, we picture that person at the end of the finish line, like holding up their, you know, arms in victory. They've crossed, they've done that thing. What we don't see are the doctors that helped the, the leg when it got injured in the year or the two years of preparation. What we don't see is the physical therapist that worked to restore that injury, that injured part. We don't see the person who drives the car behind them with a snack. Um, you know, we don't see the practice timer. I have some friends that run marathons and when they get really close to the marathon time, they do have all those people in place. Sometimes it's a, it's a mom, you know, their mom will time them, drive behind them, whatnot. Um, we don't see all those people, but the marathon runner has to have them. Hmm. Imagine a marathon runner waking up the morning of the marathon and saying, okay, even a 10 K I'm going to run a 10 K today. I'm going to go grab my shoes from the closet. Any shoes will do right. And I'm going to run this 10 K well, see them in a few hours and see how they feel. Right. No, there's preparation and there's support that goes into that. It's also like the obvious times, Tom, to which you referred as is as if the house is on fire already. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm going to wait to call the fire department until it's enveloped in the flames. Mm. <laughs> Not just that I saw the flame in the kitchen. Right. I'll just wait. I'll just wait. No, no, no. Beforehand, we put in alarms. Some people put in some other security systems, right? You might have a neighborhood watch thing that everybody's watching out for each other's houses. Um, we put in protections. We use certain woods and materials and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. So coaching is like that for all people, especially in high stress professions. And that's mm -hmm. what pastoring is, right? Um, so as soon as a woman knows she's going into ministry, I suggest finding supports. It may be a coach. It may be a counselor. It may be a really, really good, safe friend. Mm -hmm. But I also advocate for all of those to mm -hmm. be on your team because you will need various people. Um, and I just had a client, I lead healing and renewal groups. They're six week groups. That is kind of an easy entry point. Um, it's a small group setting. And one of the women who went through it had been communicating with me individually. And she said, you know, my husband, I had told my husband that I need to find just one, the right counselor. And I haven't been able to find the right counselor, but she said, actually, I found a counselor and I've found this support. She named a couple other supports. And she's like, you know, I just realized it's okay to have a team. Hmm. I said Absolutely. That's what we need. We need teams because no one person on that team can do all of the jobs yeah. that a support team does. You know, uh, Kristen, I, I just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about uh, you talking with, with women who think they're in a healthy place. I'm sure from time to time, 
you'll hear them say something that's a red flag to you and they're completely oblivious to it. So we want to just uh, just help our listeners know how, how can they contact you or uh, learn more about ministry coaching and then tell us a little bit more about what's next for you. Sure. Um, they can contact me through my website, theministrywifecoach.com, or on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on that same handle, the ministry wife. Uh, sorry, the ministry wife coach. Uh, they can find me there. So the healthy woman, and I, I, I love coaching all ministry wives, and there are healthy ministry wives that are not in an emotionally difficult place, and coaching for them is strategizing. Um, it may be a new ministry concept has come up in their staff or with their volunteers, and they're not sure how to approach it. Maybe they don't agree with it. I had one client who came and she was, here's the idea. I don't really like it. Help me think about this. And so we kind of dove into that. And she came back later and she said, I said, well, how did the meeting go? So it was one of the most successful meetings I've ever had in ministry. She said, I walked in there and my approach, I was calm. I had a better idea of what others might be thinking. And we were really able to come and unify around this idea. And we all walked away winning, right? And so um, that's what coaching can do for even when you're not coaching at an emotional, you know, if that's not the, the key thing. In that vein, um, a few of the things that are ahead for me, I did, like I mentioned, just start grad school. And so we'll see how that all goes, balancing <laughs> those things. I know that will be an adjustment, but I'm loving already. Um, even in the first week, I'm seeing what I'm learning, connecting to what I do. Mm -hmm. And so that's really fun and encouraging. Uh, I am starting a podcast and that seems a bit insane if I'm thinking, you know, if I'm going to be honest, <laughs> but I have felt the push for the last year and a half. And I keep coming to the concept that the woman who needs support often has about a 16 to 18 month leeway runway before she's actually going to reach out for help at mm. some level that's um, interacting. Mm. So I want to provide support for those that maybe can't afford the help or haven't gotten to the place where they can verbalize and, you know, make a phone call, send an email um, to be able to give them some uh, practical support. So there's going to be some different healing practices that I'll have on the podcast, as well as teaching just around the area. It's called the Ministry Wife Coach, talking trauma, hope, and healing. And so um, I want an honest place. There's a lot of Pastors Wives podcasts that are out there, and even some that I know are launching this next year. Um, not very many focus on the healing part. And I really want to be able to address some issues, but with healing and hope in mind not just to air dirty laundry, but um, to give that support to the woman who's not quite ready to reach out or able to work one-on-one -on -one or in a small group setting. Well, that's great. Well, Kristen, it, it's just been a joy <laughs> to capture our theme talking with you. And just, I feel like we've just hit the tip of the iceberg on so many issues, but uh, such important issues. We always like to end the podcast with offering our guests an opportunity to share some words of hope to pastors, ministry wives, and their families. What would you like to say to them today? I want them to know that they are so very deeply loved. The God of the universe did not set them up for failure. Mm. 
he is not distant. He's not waiting for them to do something wrong. He's not trying to punish them through divisive church members or critical people, right? Uh, there's not always a lesson that he wants us to learn. Uh, he is near. He gives us good gifts and he is for them. Hmm. I also want them to know that I see him raising up an army of people that are there to support his on the field ministry workers. There's a lot of support out there that didn't used to exist. And I want to help connect people to that support. I wanted to leave them with a verse, uh, a few verses from Isaiah 43. It says, he who created you, and I know this is talking to Israel, but this extends to all of us. This is his heart. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. Kristen, that's so good. And uh, again, we just want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be on the podcast and to share your heart. For ministry wives. Uh, again, if you want to reach out to Kristen, uh, you can contact her at theministrywifecoach.com. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thanks. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It is our prayer that your hope is continually renewed as you rest in God's love for you. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.